And then to the women who just had their transfers canceled mid-treatment, I would just say, keep fighting. I know that it probably feels like you don't have a voice and you may not have one right now because you're so upset you can't even speak. But I'm here and I'm on the other side of it and I will scream for you until this changes. Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. This is a community of women supporting women. Tune in every other Thursday to hear from SK Vaughn as she catches up with ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We will cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, thought leadership, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you are a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. Let's do this. I'm so excited to be joined here by Rebecca today. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, yeah. Thank you for having me. Every time we jump into the episode, we always kick it off with how are you surviving and thriving? So while you're thinking through yours, I'll jump into mine. I've just been kind of surviving. I think we all have (laughs) this week when we were taking a look and and really understanding what all the IVF talk was about, right? And the Alabama Supreme Court pausing IVF in the state has been really just kind of hard to process in general because it's made me do the extra homework to say, okay, so what? Like, what does this truly mean apart from like all the other noise that you hear and all the other influences in your life? It's like, what does this truly mean from an education standpoint? Where do I sit in all of this? And how do I want to help respond or maybe not. And so I've been surviving just in this season of seeing a lot of women not coming forward on this issue. And it's been a little bit discouraging in seeing that because it's definitely affecting women's reproductive rights. And so I was a little bit surprised by that. I'm thriving because I've seen people like yourself, Rebecca, who have been one of the few women to step up, speak out and speak your truth. And I think it's been a really beautiful thing to watch. And I've been so inspired by your message and just continual like influence online and with the news outlets. And there's been other people who've come forward as well. And people have been trying to organize different ways to really get to our government and just share our message and of hope and, and what we're going to see happen. So I, at the same time, while I've been discouraged and surviving, I've also been thriving and seeing a lot of incredible people step up and share their journey and their heart for it. So that's kind of how I'm surviving and thriving this week. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. It's not how I exactly saw my week starting on Monday, but here we are. No, I would say survival is the motto for my life this week. You know, I'm very tired and I am not a crier at all, except when I'm exhausted. So if I cry today, it's because I am so um, mentally and physically tired. So yeah, I mean, barely surviving this week. Thriving though and finding my voice. I'm a privileged white woman. There's not much that I really need to advocate for for myself because life is kind of handed to people like me on a silver platter in some aspects. When all this news came down Monday, I was upset like any other woman, but also like particularly as a member of the infertility community and as a fellow IVF warrior. But on Wednesday, when my doctor reached out to me, asking me if I would be willing to talk to some media outlets, uh, that was when I really started to kind of thrive and finding my own 
voice and and advocating for uh, people like me and families like mine. And and yeah, and it's been kind of cool to be a part of this because I think it's going to be big. So yeah, I would say that's it. Absolutely. Well, it's important work that you're doing. And I can identify as, you know, a white privileged woman that there's not much to advocate for. But I think when you look around, there's so much to advocate, maybe not for ourselves sometimes that it can be exactly. a little bit overwhelming, but it's such a exactly. unique perspective when it's your own, you know, when you're very much going through something. So thank you for, for sharing that. And I did want to kind of touch base just for those who might not have been, you know, educating themselves or reading into kind of where we're at to date with IVF and just kind of giving a little bit of a high level overview and feel free to join in and and share what you think, Rebecca, too. But in vitro fertilization is a medical procedure where doctors induce ovulation to remove eggs from a patient and fertilize them with sperm outside of the body. The resulting embryos can either be implanted into the patient's uterus in the hopes of getting pregnant or the embryos can be frozen for future use. Some embryos are usually discarded in the process, which is an action that now violates Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act, a civil law dating back to 1872 that allows parents to sue over the death of a child. This now applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location and developmental stage. So all of this was pretty much brought on about a recent incident that took place in the Mobile Infirmary Medical Center, where a patient wandered into the area and removed several embryos, dropping them on the floor, resulting in killing the embryos. Last week, the Alabama Supreme Court paused IVF in the state of Alabama, causing many parents to worry about their growing families. And, you know, is there the possibility that they might be facing criminal prosecution along with their doctors? Friday, the Alabama Attorney General's office did release a statement explaining they have no intention to prosecute IVF families or providers. However, medical experts share concerns about the widespread effects this may have across the country, as well as creating a blueprint for groups and legislators who may wish to target fertility treatments. That's kind of my kind of quick synopsis of everything, but Rebecca, feel free to chime in. Gosh, it's such a layered topic of conversation. I mean, IVF in and of itself is so layered and there's so much that goes into it. It's something that takes at the least a month. It's hard to comment on it if you haven't walked through it. And and I think that what's encouraging is that so many people right now are, are educating themselves on what IVF is. And in turn, they're learning more and they're probably having a little more of a right to have an opinion in a way. I do have a little bit of an issue with men having an opinion. It's one thing for a woman. I don't know. A man, it's so hard for especially knowing that so many men are making these decisions for us. But yeah, this ruling is so bonkers. And quite honestly, I think that a lot of the judges who made this decision don't even probably understand IVF at its core. So I think that you know, we've got some bills that are about to be coming through. I'm heading down to the state house on Wednesday to talk to lawmakers and representatives and all that kind of stuff. And I think that we've been spending a lot of time the last few days just sort of educating people on how this has been affecting families in Alabama, how this is affecting people who are in the midst of IVF treatment. And I think this week we're going to see a shift to more of a boots on the ground type of mentality. And, and, you know, I think it's going to kind of start to shift a little bit. 
I hope so. And I think that's yeah. great work they are doing. And my hope is that people can educate themselves and then figure it out from there. I've got friends and family who've gone through it or who are currently going through it in a different state. And there's a lot of just fear and because there could be a trickle down effect from this. I think that that's something I think that there also... will be. Yeah, I think there will be a trickle down effect, which is horrific. You know, living in Alabama, we're kind of used to people kind of poking fun at us and sometimes things being a little backwards, backwoods, if you will. I really hope that we don't play into that image that people have of us. I really hope that we can kind of take this opportunity to say, no, this was this was nine people who made this decision or really seven because two dissented. So this is seven people who made this decision and, and everyone else is, is being level at it. I mean, the bills coming through are bipartisan. And I think that in and of itself says that the people of Alabama do not feel the same way the seven judges on that Supreme Court feel. And hopefully other states are taking note and saying, okay, maybe, you know, we were going to do this, but the people of that state are standing up. So maybe we should hold off. Well, we'll just jump in. Rebecca, kind of tell us a little bit more about your family. You've got two children from IVF, I think, right? And I'd love to learn a little bit more about them. What are their names and ages? Yeah, so we've got Jack. And Jack is seven. He's in first grade. He's actually at a baseball practice right now. So he's out of the house. If not, he'd probably be peeking into the screen to say hey to you. Uh, And then we've got McLean. McLean is one. She is asleep in bed right now. Hopefully she doesn't wake up. If she does, we always have Miss Rachel to entertain her while we chat. And McLean is actually named for Dr. Mamie McLean, who you may have seen on the news in the last few days. She has really been on the front lines of this whole entire situation that's unfolding. And she was my fertility doctor. She is the doctor who helped us get McLean. And I am just so indebted to her and respect her so much. So yeah, she is our one of our daughter's namesakes. Our daughter McLean is also a surrogate baby. So she's named for our gestational surrogate as well, who is so near and dear to our heart and who's obviously right now heartbroken over what's going down in the state, you know, just asking how she can help from Colorado and whatever she can do. She's watching this news unfold. Like so many people over the whole world actually talked to a news team in New Zealand this morning. So yeah, so everyone's worried about this and concerned about this, but to get back to your question, yeah, I have a Jack and a McLean, and they are so precious and cute. I love that. What do you feel like you love most about each one of your children? Like maybe a special story or characteristic that just makes you think, okay, they're the best. Oh, man. Jack, he's all boy. And, you know, I could have a thousand stories. He's just he's so funny to me but he's all boy but he loves me really really fiercely and I'm kind of obsessed with him it's so it's such a it's such an interesting love having a boy as a mom because I know that I'm only his favorite girl for so long one day he's gonna get older and meet someone else and say so right now it just feels really special he loves spending one-on-one time with me and I, I love being able to give that to him So it's just, it's kind of fun to watch him like run around and be all boy, but also, you know, want to come snuggle up with mama and go on picnics with mama and things like that. And then my daughter, McLean, gosh, you know, she's one. So she's just now starting to get a really great little personality and she's learning cute things and she'll clap for herself. And she does her little hands with the itsy bitsy spider and she loves her bun bun. Anytime I 
give her her bun bun. She kind of like holds it and pats it. And she's, it's interesting to see all the things she's learning. Like she'll put a, she'll put a bottle up to her bun bun's mouth. And it's, it's like all the lights are starting to turn on in her little brain. And it's just neat to do it again. You know, Jack's seven. So he was six when McLean was born. We had gone a really long time without a baby in this house. So you kind of forget how magical it is when they, when you can see them starting to learn things and like really connect to what's going on around them. Yeah. What a special time. Yeah. Are you looking for a new membership to really plug into, find community and really begin thriving? Well, we have just the membership for you at the Ladies Who Lead podcast. We have a membership on Patreon that is the thriving membership. It's only $5 a month. You get exclusive content, bonus episodes, sneak peek of the new merch, and early access to all of our announcements and promotions that are happening right here, right now. You're just the first person to know about it. If this sounds like the membership group for you, don't hesitate to sign up as we link it in our show notes. It's patreon.com backslash the ladies who lead. And this is an incredible membership you do not want to miss out on. So please share with us kind of your journey and infertility and kind of the hope that IVF was able to provide for you and your growing family. Yeah. So my husband and I started trying to get pregnant when we had been married for about a year. We, gosh, I would say eight months into it, we went to my OBGYN and I said, I just have a bad feeling. It's not working. I'm quote unquote young. I was 26 at the time. And I just kind of felt like, you know, I think just to be on the safe side, let's just go run a few tests. And so my doctor was really wonderful. He was like, yeah, you know, we'll do a few things, make sure that everything's going well and we're working as it should work. And then we will check back after a few months. So everything looked good. All of our tests came back normal. I ended up actually having a, a laparoscopic procedure in April of 2015 to just make sure that I didn't have any endometriosis, which I did have endometriosis. So we got rid of it. And we kind of thought that was the, that was going to be what the issue was. So kept trying, did some IUIs, wasn't working. Eventually I moved to a fertility clinic in Birmingham and did my first round of IVF in January, 2016. And I was really excited about it. I think so many women, unfortunately, there's such a stigma around infertility and, and infertility treatment. I think that for so many women, having to turn to IVF feels like the last resort. And it feels like they're being told they're broken and they can't do, their body cannot do what it's meant to do. Thankfully, just for my own mental health, I didn't feel that way. I was really excited about IVF. I was like, well, this is what we need. We just need some help getting pregnant. The other stuff isn't going to do it. This is going to do it. And I was just really grateful for the opportunity to be able to afford it for a doctor's office that I really liked and felt well taken care of. and. We did it and I got pregnant my very first transfer. And nine months later, we had Jack. So as far as IVF goes, that's kind of like a dream, you know, it's, that was quote unquote easy. And we definitely thought it would be easy when we wanted to have a second baby or maybe even a third of that time came along. So yeah, that first time was everything we wanted it to be. 
we had Jack and when he was two, we started saying, okay, maybe when he's three, let's, let's transfer another embryo. So Jack turned three in October of 2019. We kind of went through the holidays and then in fall of 2018, we, when Jack turned two, we decided we would start trying when we got to the holidays. So January, 2019, we transferred our first frozen embryo. Jack was a fresh transfer. So we, we froze six embryos. So we transferred the first embryo and it didn't work. The next month we transferred the second embryo and it didn't work. We took a break. And then in April of 2019, we transferred our third frozen embryo and I got pregnant. And that was for me, you know, my husband and I were like, well, this is it, you know, we'll, we'll get our baby around Christmas. And that's that. And when I was eight-ish weeks pregnant, I went in for my second ultrasound and there was no heartbeat anymore. The week before there was, and this time there was no heartbeat. So we took some time off. I had to have a DNC and we took some time off. And then in July of 2019, we transferred again. I got pregnant again. I would say this pregnancy's loss was the one of the toughest I had. I went into an ultrasound and the baby had a heartbeat. And we'll see you in a week. And then we came back a week later and they said, your baby's heart rate has slowed down and your baby's going to die. That was probably a Monday or a Tuesday. When I was pulling out of the doctor's office, my doctor called me on the phone and she said, I've scheduled the OR for you for Thursday for your DNC. And I said, but the baby's not even gone yet. And she said, it'll be gone by Thursday. Side note, this is not Dr. McLean. This is a different doctor. So I said, okay. So I told my husband, I said, well, there's no chance. They've already booked me the OR. Like clearly they have no hope of this baby living. So we went in Wednesday to check the baby was still alive and the heart rate had gotten slower. So they said, okay, come back in the morning at like 6 a.m. The baby will be gone. You can get in your car and drive to Birmingham for your DNC. And I went back in. His or her heart rate had decelerated, but was still beating. So they said, okay, come back tomorrow, Friday, and we'll do this whole thing over again. So I went in Friday morning, once again, Baby's heart still beating, it's slower. And at this point, it's arrhythmic. And they were like, okay, we're so sorry. You're just going to have to go home for the weekend and come back on Monday. On Monday, we went in and the baby had, had passed away over the weekend. So that was a really, really tough one to know that like the baby was slowly dying inside of me. We went on to transfer the remaining embryos from that round of IVF and eventually and, and got pregnant and lost them. And then in 2020, I went to Dr. McLean, a new doctor and a new, a new doctor's office and just said, listen, I need new, a new fresh set of eyes on my case. I want to marry go around. We're not changing anything. We're just doing transfers every month with the same protocol and the same meds. Dr. McLean really shook things up. We went through two rounds of IVF with Dr. McLean, got pregnant each transfer, but I would end up either having a chemical pregnancy or, you know, we would get to heart rate point And then like a week later, the baby would pass away. So eventually we had to turn to surrogacy. And that was also a really hard conversation I've ever, ever had to have with a doctor. That 
conversation took place and we did another transfer and then another round of IVF. And then eventually we found our surrogate and got so lucky in the way in which we found her. It was a total God thing. And she got pregnant and we had McLean in January of 2023. And now we have a remaining embryo. Wow. Just a really heartfelt story and with all different kind of turns. And I know it has had to have been really difficult in that stretch. And, and also just having a child inside of you that's, you know, slowly dying is, is I can't imagine the pain and the loss that must feel. How did you, during that time, find hope and get through some of the harder times in those conversations? Honestly, my faith was really huge. And there were some ebbs and flows with it, for sure. There were some really dark moments with my faith. And then there were some really, really wonderful moments with my faith where I really grew in it. I led a Bible study for a couple of years, which was really wonderful just to be surrounded by other women who were going through the things I was going through. My marriage, you know, some people can kind of fall apart in, in ways. And, and my marriage got stronger in some senses. And my husband really stepped up to the plate and supported me by really taking over things under our roof with our son and with household duties. I spent so much time just in the bed being depressed and sad. And he really stepped up and never asked me to like fuck up and come on, it's going to be okay. He always just let me lay in my emotions and feelings and let me process how I needed to and just sort of did dad duties and, you know, never complained about it. That was really, really special just to be surrounded by so much support. You know, we people say it takes a village to raise a child, but it really takes a village to lose a child too. And also going into it, it's very different to lose a pregnancy with a baby with a heart rate, heart, like a heartbeat, and to have a chemical pregnancy or to have an embryo transfer that doesn't even result in pregnancy, right? Those are two, to me, those were very different range from like, oh, we have to do this again. Like it's still not over. It never, when I would have a transfer that did not result in a positive pregnancy test, I never felt like I was having a miscarriage or a chemical, like that didn't feel like that to me. It mm -hmm. just felt like, okay, well that didn't work. And now we have to try again. Whereas when I had a miscarriage, when I got to see a baby's heart beating on a screen, that felt very much like a deep, deep loss. So it kind of goes back to this whole embryo thing. Like an embryo is not a baby, you know, it's just not. And I heard someone say it really well. An embryo is not a baby. And we had to learn that in a really hard way, multiple times over again. And why do you feel like that distinction is so important for you personally, but as well as for others to kind of have that distinction? Well, you know, Aside from just reproductive rights and infertility treatment, I never really saw myself having to have this conversation. I think we've we've really consumed ourselves with having this whole entire pro-choice, pro-life conversation over the last few years, especially since the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And that's been more of like an abortion conversation, right? I've really never had to defend my right to be able to choose what I want to choose to do with my own embryo. So this is this is like a new animal, right? No one really knows what it means. It's really unprecedented. But now that's where this conversation has gone, which a lot of people actually predicted with the overturn of Roe v. Wade. They said, well, they'll come for IVF next. 
and that's exactly what has happened. But I think too, what we're learning is that people are standing up and saying, no, absolutely not. No. Infertility, IVF is such an isolating, lonely thing. And like I said, it's, there's so much of a stigma around it. Women don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that women who have always cut their mouths shut about it, whether that be because they're private or there might be health reasons they don't want to share while they're, why, why they're doing it. I hope that those women have felt more supported in the last week because so many people have come out and said, we're not going to stand for this. But I do, I, I in some ways have felt more supported than, than I ever have before too. Well, that's great to hear. And I, I love that this idea of more women stepping forward and, and really using their voice because it's, I feel like it's something that you very much have to go through to truly comprehend and, and have that level of empathy. But at the same time, I'm also thinking about future families and those who might want to freeze their eggs as they continue to get older with future fam- family planning. Like I don't have kids yet, but I'm 30 this year. Like, you know, yeah, that's a scary reality that maybe some women aren't facing today, but right. to say in the next year or two or however many years, you still want to have the the right, <laughs> the choice well, to continue your family planning. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because I think that a lot of people think, oh, you can't get pregnant, you're doing IVF, or you're doing IVF because you're infertile and you can't get pregnant. There's other reasons to do IVF than that. It could be that you had, you know, there's women who've had cancer in their 20s. And they say, okay, you've got to freeze your eggs because you won't have a child otherwise, because you're about to go through all this radiation and all this treatment that's going to prevent you from using your eggs later down the road. So you've got to do this first. It might be that I have a sweet friend who she and her husband are both genetic carriers for this really horrible disease that they had no clue they were carriers for and their son now has it. So they said, well, we want to have another baby, but we don't want another baby to suffer the way our son's going to suffer. So we're going to do IVF. And it took multiple rounds of IVF for them to finally get an embryo that did not carry this genetic disease. There's just so many things that go into it. I think that sometimes there's sort of this like, oh, celebrity, like they just want to like choose their baby and do all this. It's, it's just, it's not just, it's not that. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it's something, it's a decision that you make with your partner and your doctor and, and the government shouldn't be involved in it in any way, shape or form. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. So when you heard about the recent ruling by the Alabama Supreme Court, what was your initial reaction? Like, do you remember hearing the news and and then like what was your process so that's a lot to process I'm just imagining what you must have been feeling yeah you know I had I don't know if it was different for you down in Mobile but up here in Montgomery I had no clue this was even going on I want to say a few years ago I might have read a news article about the couple having their embryos destroyed at that Mobile clinic I feel like it feels slightly familiar and it and it would because I would have been going through IVF at the same time. And I'm sure that I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. How could anyone ever have access to a cryo tank? Like, how did they get back there? I mean, I'm sure I was like, I have so many questions, but I never realized there was like litigation happening in the background. I never realized there was something going to the Alabama Supreme Court until the ruling came down Monday. I was sitting at my kitchen table doing some work. I work from home. And so I think I'd just gotten off a Zoom call. And a friend of mine sent me something on Instagram about it. I was like, what is this? And I kind of started to look into it harder. I think I kind of like did like a laugh, like a, huh, like something kind of like that. Because I remember thinking like, 
this has like a man's name written all over it. Like only a man would think, I don't know. It just kind of like, it was kind of like comically ridiculous in that like one moment. And then it was like, wait, hold on. What, hold on. What does this even mean? Like, what is this even going to mean? So kind of started to look into it a little more. And then my husband got home from work and I was like, have you, have you been reading the news? Have you seen all this stuff? And he was like, yeah. I was like, what does this even mean for us? Like, what does this mean for our embryo? What, like, what happens now? And he was like, I don't know, but I'm claiming it as a dependent on our taxes since apparently it's a child. And it was very confusing. We were just confused on Monday. And then when IVF clinic started to shut down, it was like, it went from confusion to just anger, just full on anger that families are having to stop treatment. I mean, it should have never gotten to this point ever. I couldn't agree more. I think it's such a shock that it would get to this point. I'm like, what year are we in? You know what I mean? Like, I hate to think that we're going backwards in history on women's reproductive rights in the year 2024. When we have so many women who are highly educated, who are kicking ass, doing big things, as well as men, as well as other people. Why is this even up for discussion? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the big question. The big kicker is. Yes, I think you can always make processes better and modern science and medicine is going to continue to only get better. But why stop it now? Why halt the progress? And especially while people are very much going through it. And I just it just doesn't make any sense to me, to be honest. You know, Alabama's a pro-family state and nothing about this ruling is pro-family. No one values life more than a woman or a family going through the midst of IVF and infertility. And so it just makes no sense at all. So what advice do you have for other women who are struggling to conceive? What what would you tell them right now in that season? I would say it's so hard. It's so lonely. It's so isolating. You've got to find a group of women, whether it be just a support group or it, is a Bible study if if you're a, a you Christian and that is something that you enjoy or just a friend to confide in. I think that these things to be able to talk freely and to kind of unload what you're feeling is so important. And I think to be able to have someone else understand that as well because they're going through it is so important. It's hard, right? Because so many women don't want to share. It's it can feel so messy to share and it can feel so like an admittance that you don't work the way you should like your body's not working the way you should and 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 it and it should and that is so sad to me because we're just not made that way like we're made for community we're made to be supporters of the people around us and to be supported to be held up when we can't and it's so important and I would say find those people that are around you You don't have to post on social media about it if you don't want to. You don't have to stand in front of your Sunday school class and share this hard thing and ask for prayer. But if you just turn to one person around you and say, I'm really struggling with this and it's really hard, it will come back to help you. It it really will. You've got to find a community of, of women who can support you. And I would say find a doctor that you really, really, really love if you're there yet. Like some women might not be to that point yet, but if you are a point, I think finding a doctor who you really love and who you really trust is really, really important. And then to the women who just had their transfers canceled mid-treatment, I would just say, keep fighting. I know that it probably feels like you don't have a voice and 
you may not have one right now because you're so upset you can't even speak, but I'm here and I'm on the other side of it and I will scream for you until this changes. Thank you. What are the next steps our listeners can take to help women's reproductive rights? Right now, there are a few things you can do, especially if you're in the state of Alabama. You can, one, Wednesday, there's going to be Advocate to Protect IVF Day down at the State House. That is going to be huge, I think. So we're going to meet down there around like 930 in the morning. We're going to talk. We're going to do things. We're going to try to go sit in on some of these committee hearings. That's going to be super important if you're in the Tri-County area specifically. I know it's hard in the middle of the work day for people to get here, but if you're near here, it would be so hugely appreciated. Just more support. We would love to have a big group for that. There's also the doctors. We could support our doctors for the fertility pack. So there's different ways that you can go in and do that online, which I can send all of this to you to post. We can, if you go on to ASRM's website, there will be ways you can you can help with that to support the access to the Family Building Act. Donations would be great. But I would say specifically right now, what our main task, it's going to be Wednesday, it's going to be getting these bills passed. So we already have some opposition coming in from a couple of groups who are not supporting this bill. So I think that the more people who can come out and just sort of advocate for themselves or advocate for their family members, That would be super, super important. I think one thing that we need to mention is that infertility affects one in eight women. And there are nine judges who sit on the Alabama Supreme Court. So so statistics tell me that at least one of them has been directly affected by infertility or their wife has. I think we have like, what, two women who sit on that court and the rest are men. But we know that at least one of those couples has been affected by infertility. It also tells us that one in four women will experience miscarriage. So that tells me that at least two of them or their wives have a miscarriage. I think what's going to be important is getting in front of these lawmakers and reminding them that the Alabama Supreme Court may want to ignore the people in their homes or in their life who have experienced infertility and miscarriage, but we're not going to let those lawmakers ignore us. So we're going to sit here and we're going to scream and we're going to talk to every news outlet we can and do anything we can until this has changed. Yes. And if you'll send me the links, we'll be sure to add them in our show notes. So our listeners can take action and also understand what's coming down in the next week. I would love to know how can our listeners find you online? What's your shameless plug? Yeah. My Instagram handle is Reba S Matthews with one T. I do have a private account. So you got to ask to follow me. I've got little babies I want to protect. And then I do have a LinkedIn page and it's just Rebecca Matthews with one T and Matthews. So yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing your story, your truth and your heart behind IVF and the importance of protecting that in the state of Alabama. It's a lot to process, but it's people like you who are stepping forward, women like you who are stepping forward, paving a way for other women. So thank you. Yeah, I really hope so. I hope that, um, more women will feel empowered to come forward and share their story and and advocate for themselves and for the women who feel like they can't right now. I mean, I get it and my heart goes out to you and I will step into that gap and do it for you. And thank you for giving me this platform to share. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ladies Who Lead podcast. 
Looking for another way to engage with the Ladies Who Lead podcast? Check out our Instagrams and our show notes at the Ladies Who Lead. And don't forget to check out our website, www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.